You're listening to episode number 14 of the Keto Diet Podcast. Hey, I'm Leanne from healthfulpursuit.com, and this is the Keto Diet Podcast, where we're busting through the restrictive mentality of a traditional ketogenic diet to uncover the life you crave. What's keto? Keto is a low-carb, high-fat diet where we're switching from a sugar-burning state to becoming fat-burning machines. If you're in need of keto recipe food prep inspiration, I've prepped a free seven-day keto meal plan exclusive for podcast listeners. The plan is complete with a shopping list and everything you need to chow down on keto for seven whole days. Download your free copy at healthfulpursuit.com forward slash keto meal. Let's get this party started. Hey guys, happy new year. I hope you enjoyed last night's festivities and you're feeling fabulous this morning. The awesome thing this week is fourth and heart ghee butter. It's dairy-free, lactose-free, casein-free. They filter their ghee three separate times to remove all milk solids. And guys, this is the only ghee that I haven't reacted to. The last ghee that I tried was Tin Star Foods, and while I didn't react to the dairy, I did react to the histamine in it because of various reasons that I'm not too familiar with, so I'm not even going to get into it. While I love the taste of their brown butter, so good, I was reacting to the histamines, but Fourth and Heart Ghee Butter sent me all of their flavors. They had vanilla, Himalayan rock salt, I'll probably forget one, white truffle salt, original... There was probably one more garlic. So good. And I'm not reacting to them. I went through an entire jar in like two days. Amazing. So if you are sensitive to casein, lactose, dairy, all of the things like this girl, you may want to check them out because you might not react to them either. What we're covering in this episode, giving up food control, connection between weight and your health, and overcoming weight stigma. The show notes for today's episode can be found at healthfulpursuit.com forward slash podcast forward slash E14. Let's hear from one of our awesome partners. Instant Pot, my personal favorite pressure cooker, is a partner of the podcast. With Instant Pot, you can make meals in minutes. Truly, I was someone who was intimidated by pressure cookers, but I'm so happy I gave Instant Pot a try. It makes rich bone broths, hearty stews, and epic dishes just like your slow cooker does, but a lot quicker. I have the Instant Pot IP Duo 60, which pressure cooks, slow cooks, cooks rice, sautés, makes yogurt, steam and warms up food all in one. As an exclusive for Keto Diet Podcast listeners only, Instant Pot is offering everyone $50 off any Instant Pot of their choice. Simply go to instantpot.com, find the unit that best suits you, and use the coupon code KETO, that's all in caps, no spaces, for your $50 discount. I have one announcement today. It is officially 2017, so we're kicking off the official launch of my paperback that's coming out April 11th of this year. And I can say that now. It's so exciting. You can get more information by going to ketodietbook.com. I partnered up with Victory Belt on this one. They are my first official publisher. I've self-published all of my books and programs up until this point, but Victory Belt was so cool and approached me with the option of really writing whatever book I wanted. So I chose 
to write one about keto because surprise, surprise, I'm really into the stuff. And it really focuses on being kind to your body and listening to your body and creating an eating style that fits your life and your needs and really takes away the restriction that often comes with a standard ketogenic protocol. It has oodles of information you won't find in any of my other programs. And it talks really about how to make the keto diet work for you in the kitchen. So it talks a lot about food preparation and meal prep and ingredient choices and how all this works together, how to soak your nuts and seeds, how to spiralize and roast and toast and all the different things of all the different things you can spiralize how to make keto smoothies, how to make the perfect fat bombs so that you have templates to make this work and you're not always having to look at recipes. But if you love recipes, I also got a lot of those in the book as well, over 125 of them, including a bunch of different shopping lists with meal plans. So you can totally crush all of the recipes in the book. They're really simple. Y'all know that I don't necessarily totally enjoy cooking for long periods of time, which made writing a book with 125 recipes really interesting, but I like to make recipes really quickly and move on with my life. So I included a bunch of new recipes. I think we only included a handful that are classic ones from the blog. Everything else is brand new. So again, you can find more information at ketodietbook.com. And when you pre-order, that means that you will get the book the minute it goes live on April 11th. It will be sent to you and you'll get it in a couple of days. You can pre-order on Amazon, IndieBound, Barnes and Noble, Indigo, a bunch of different places. And when you do pre-order, you get put on a list. So you get a bunch of free things immediately, including a savings guide that can save you upwards of $100 on keto products. All my partners have joined in. They're giving you guys access to some really, really cool savings that you won't find anywhere else. So if you pre-order, you get that. And you also get access to my Facebook group. So today's guest is Linda Bacon, PhD. She is a researcher on the inside track of weight regulation science, a scientist whose three graduate degrees, research, and clinical expertise uniquely prepare her to understand and translate the physiological, psychological, and sociocultural underpinnings of weight control. She is currently a health professor at City College of San Francisco and an associate nutritionist at the University of California, Davis. An internationally recognized authority on weight and health, Dr. Bacon has published her book in top scientific journals as well as the highly acclaimed bestseller, Health at Every Size, The Surprising Truth About Your Weight. Her recently released book, Body Respect, What Conventional Health Books Get Wrong, Leave Out, or Just Fail to Understand About Weight, is a crash course in what you need to know about bodies and health. So let's cut over to the interview. Hi, Linda. How are you doing today? Good, Liam. Good to hear from you. Yes, I'm very thrilled to have you on the podcast. For listeners that may not be familiar with your work, tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, well, <laughs> my goal is to try to help people to get off the diet bandwagon. I know that so many people are just scared of food and always trying to restrict it. And I'm out there preaching a message that you can learn how to enjoy food and take good care of your body at the same time. And I'm a scientist. I've studied this from lots of different angles. I've got a PhD in physiology with a specialty in nutrition. I'm also an exercise physiologist and a psychotherapist. I've got one PhD and two master's degrees. 
and everything just keeps coming up. Every field of inquiry has taken me to this same place that basically just says that we can trust our bodies. And when we try to, when we give up controlling them, our bodies do a much better job of being kind to us and doing what they need to do. So that's my goal in the world is to help spread that message. And you do such a wonderful job of spreading that message and have inspired so many people, including myself, to really just give up the control and just trust my body. And it's quite an amazing practice, but really overwhelming for a lot of it people. Is, it is scary. I certainly understand that, you know, that um, so many people believe that if they ever gave up the control, they would be out of control. And it's scary to know, to let go of restricting and trying to watch yourself all the time. So I'll be happy over the course of this podcast to talk a little bit about some of the reasons why that might be helpful and some of the skills that are valuable to help people make that leap of faith. And speaking about the skills, I'm sure there's a process of giving up that control. It's not just one day you're dieting, restricting everything, and the next day you love every part of yourself <laughs> and you're exactly. trusting yourself. What does that process look like? like? How does somebody even begin to trust their body? Wow, you're just jumping in with the hardest question right up front, aren't you? <laughs> you know, get that out of the way and then we'll talk about like set point weight and stuff, you know. <laughs> Might as well. How do you get to that place of just trusting yourself? Well, as you're mentioning, it's not a thing that you just do overnight and you're cured. I think that there's a long process of trying to recognize what it is that you're looking for in food and then making sure that you give that to yourself. I always like to throw in stories because I think that that really helps to bring this across. Yes, please. Um, so let me see if I can come up with a story. Oh, okay. All right. Here's um, uh, th this one. I'm sure that you're that the moms in the audience will be able to relate to. So I had a mother that was complaining to me that um, her kid was pretty out of control overeating, that sometimes they would be restricting and other times they'd be eating out of control. And she wanted to just try to figure out how she can normalize eating. And it was a kid's birthday party. The kids were all like maybe 10 years old. And we're sitting by the ice cream. There was an ice cream cake that was there. And the kid comes running up with an empty plate. He had obviously just eaten his ice cream cake. And he's asking his mom, 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 can I get another piece? And the mom looks at me just helplessly, like, how do you get this kid in control right now? You know, and I got to admit, like, even though I've got a kid of my own, I'm not so good with kids, right? And I was like, <laughs> right, like, you know, how do you respond to this guy? And um, I asked the kid, you know, so how come you want another piece? And, and the kid looks at me like I'm crazy. And he says, because it tastes so good. And I said, oh, you want to feel good? And the kid says, yeah. And I said, well, is there anything else at this party that, that helps you to feel good? And then he starts talking about the little bouncy house that they had outside that all the kids were jumping around in. And he was so excited talking about it that he kind of forgot about the ice cream. And he drops his plate and he runs out and back to the bouncy house. But it was such a great statement to that... Like, he wasn't hungry, you know? He just was looking for some enjoyment or something. And all I had to do was just help him to figure out what made him happy, and then food didn't have to serve that purpose anymore. So it wasn't like he was con I was telling him, no, you can't eat it or consciously restrict. I was telling him, go for what makes you happy. 
and, you know, discover that. And I think that's just a great lesson for all of us adults, too, that, you know, if there's a reason we look for food, sometimes it might be physical nourishment, you know, we need the energy. But and for people who feel out of control around food, it's probably less about that sometimes and more about some kind of emotional need that we need met and that we deserve to take care of ourselves and give us give ourselves what we really need and want and you know it was amazing to see the transformation for that kid and how easy it was once he just identified what he wanted and then you know found a solution for it that's such a perfect story and something that I can relate to 100% when I'm snack. We call it snacky in the house. Like it's not hungry. You just want to eat, but you're not actually hungry. <laughs> and then yeah. it's like, wait, what did I not do? To- oh, I forgot to meditate or I didn't go for a walk or I didn't do those things that make me feel happy and, and free and adventurous. And therefore I'm eating and snacking on things that I don't need and don't really want. You're just seeking for that feeling totally 100%. Yeah, you know, and I think one thing that's really helpful in terms of framing is to recognize that there's actually a lot of beauty in that drive to eat because it's your signal that you want something and that you need something and that you need to, you know, this is a time to be compassionate and caring and loving and give yourself what you need. So instead of looking at that drive to eat as something bad and wrong and what's, you know, taking you down, you can look at it as opportunity and, you know, a a chance to get yourself, get to know yourself better. And that the drive is all about your own self-love. It's like you want to care for yourself. And that's what the drive is about. I mean, maybe a simple question could be like, what do I need right now when you get hungry? Could that be helpful? Yeah. Amazing. The podcast is partnered with Vital Proteins, the leader in sustainably sourced collagen for a full, vibrant life. As you know, podcast listeners receive 10% off plus free shipping in the U.S. on all of their favorites over at vitalproteins.com with the coupon code VPHP10. That's all in caps, no spaces. Beginning February 1st, 2017, Vital Proteins and I will be putting together something super special that will replace the coupon code. Stay tuned into the podcast for more information leading up to February 1st. In the meantime, the coupon code VPHP10 will continue to work up to January 31st, 2017. And so you wrote two fabulous books and my favorite is Health at Every Size. I haven't read your second book. Definitely will be doing that. Can you tell us a little bit about the Health at Every Size concept for people that maybe don't know or understand what that means? Sure. Well, the reason we use the words health at every size is just recognizing that people can make good health choices regardless of what their size is, that that everybody has opportunities to be good to themselves in the body that they have. So it's expanding the notion of health. It's not saying that health is something that's limited to thin people. And it's just acknowledging that it's possible for everybody to take good care of themselves. And Health at Every Size is what is something that starts from a social justice model. And what we mean by that is that it just recognizes that you as an individual matter, 
right? And that there's things about your life that you're bringing to your experience of food and your body, and that the world is also treating you in a certain way based on their judgments and beliefs about your body, and that you have to start from your individual experience and trusting that who you are is okay, and that your body is okay too, and that your body comes packaged with all kinds of messages about how best to take care of yourself. And so you can drop all those other ideas of trying to control it and, you know, your of how many calories you think you're supposed to get or how much exercise and at what endurance, at what heart rate you're supposed to do. And look instead for those internal messages that are guiding you. Things like hunger and fullness and your energy levels throughout the day are all giving you great indications of what your body needs and how satisfied it is. And you can do a great job of just getting to know yourself and making good choices that honor who you are. Brilliant. And for for somebody like I struggled with an eating disorder for over a decade. And I always thought that I needed to be a certain weight. Like you mentioned, you know, the heart rate that you're supposed to have, the weight that you're supposed to be. In your book, you highlight so perfectly the concept of set point weight. And when I read that for the first time, I was like, oh my gosh, finally I can eat. (laughs) Like, it's okay because that constant restriction, while it was pretty quote unquote successful for me and I was able to maintain it was very challenging to maintain the weight that I was at as soon as I listened to my body trust my body I did gain weight but now it's effortless for me to maintain the weight that I'm at like it maybe changes a little tiny bit up and down maybe five to ten pounds but it's not these drastic up and down swinging can we talk a little bit about set point weight Sure. Yeah. And I just want to, as I talk about, I want to start by just highlighting that point that you brought out about how, you know, people fight so hard to control their weight. And it's a pretty radical realization to recognize that when you give up the fight, that your body is much more efficient at doing that process for you. And it's effortless. And it's pretty amazing to know that our bodies know how to take care of us and that we don't have to put all that work into it. All right, but let me back up a little bit to get us back to that point. So you use the language set point weight, and that's something that's well recognized by scientists today, that everybody's got a weight range that's right and appropriate for them and that their body likes to defend and to to maintain. It's very similar to something like your body temperature. There's a temperature that's healthiest and best for you, and you don't stay exactly at that temperature all the time, but on hot days, your body might get a little bit hotter, but if it gets too hot, there's gonna be all kinds of body processes that are gonna kick in to try to cool you down. So for example, you might start to sweat to lose some of that heat off of your body and bring your body back into a comfortable range. Well, it turns out that your body fat levels are maintained within a healthy range, just like your body maintains your temperature in a certain healthy range. And 
we all come biologically predetermined to be in a certain range. And then the things that we do in our life also have a minor impact of changing where we should be on that spectrum. But in general, what we find is everybody's got this, their own particular range that's right and best for them. And if you let go of trying to control your weight, what your body's going to do is it is always going to try to keep you in that range. So when you've lost too much weight, then you're going to get pretty intense signals that are going to try to get you to eat more so that you can regain the weight and get back into range. And similarly, if you get too heavy, your body's going to have mechanisms that are going to try to kick you back into losing that weight. So it might turn off your appetite to make you eat less, for example. And I know it can be pretty scary because lots of people feel like, no, you know, if I, if I stop controlling myself, I will just keep gaining, gaining, gaining weight that I don't have those regulatory mechanisms in me. But yet it's really well established by scientists that we all do, except for a very, very tiny minority of the population that's got some genetic defects. We all have those mechanisms both at the bottom and the top of our range. And those mechanisms at the bottom of our range are really, really intense and strong. And which makes sense because if you lose too much weight, you would die. So biology set us up so those regulatory mechanisms make sure that we don't lose too much weight. On the other hand, those regulatory mechanisms at the top of our range, we can actually override them a bit. And that also makes sense if we look at it from a historical perspective, because while we used to have famines that would cause us to lose too much weight, and so we've evolutionary de we've developed so that um, we have more protection in place, historically, we've never really had too much opportunity to gain a whole lot of weight before. It's only really within the last few hundred years that food's been more readily available for some people. Um, and that we haven't had to work as hard to be able to get it, for some people that is. And so we've never even had opportunity to get fat until more recently. But yet we still have those mechanisms, but we can override them. So in other words, your body might be telling you, oh, you know, that's enough calories, I'm satisfied. But you can override that and decide to eat more. Like, for example, in that that we were talking about earlier, the example of the, the kid eating, not for physical nourishment, but for emotional needs. And so you can override those healthy mechanisms that are trying to keep you at a healthy weight. And some people tend to be over the a weight that's healthy for them. But if you trust your body, your body is going to try to keep you within that range. And, you know, another big point that I want to make is that most people think, oh, I must therefore be above my healthy set point weight because I'm too heavy. And that's not true. That the vast, a lot of people actually are in a weight that's healthy for them, but that weight might not be what's socially given a lot of power. But what we know is that there are a lot of people who are in those categories called overweight and obese where that's the right and healthy weight that their body wants them to maintain. And it's good for them. And we have to throw out all of these notions of 
being at a normal BMI, you know, I, I use the word normal in air quotes, mm -hmm. which I guess you can't see on this audio. We could tell. Because, <laughs> because there is no, you know, normal doesn't, isn't really what's normal for most people. Most people don't fit in that. And it's not what's going to be healthiest and right for most people. So we have to throw out all of those ideas of what that perfect body looks like and instead trust that if we just let our body take care of itself, it'll get to the place that's best for us. I love that you mentioned, you know, the question about, well, I must be above my set point because I'm too heavy. <laughs> because I know a lot of people listening are thinking that very thing. But it's very true. And something, something that you mentioned uh, previously and something you mentioned in your book as well is, what happens when people are under their set point is that you, they get an increased appetite. And what happens when they're above their set point is that they get really like finicky with food and they become very picky with what they're eating and such. Are there other signs that can maybe tell somebody if they're at a set point that's right for them or they're above or below? Okay. Well, First off, I'm not so sure. I actually haven't seen research that says that when people are above their set point, they get finicky. So I'm not I'm not so sure that, that I want to support that idea. But what we certainly know is that when people are below their set point weight, there's a lot of different reactions they could have. But one is that feeling of desperation around food, you know, of always being hungry, of food always being on your mind, constantly being distracted by it. Those are all possibly signals of being below your set point. There are other things that could be setting that up. Just having a restrictive attitude towards food could also set up all of that stuff. But I think the key to helping people figure out if they're in their set point range is just the set point is the weight that your body just keeps returning to when you're off your diet and when you just let go of that control. And so some people, you know, it's so rare that that ever happens that they might not even know what that is. And it might just take some patience of watching what happens to your body over time before you get there. But when your body brings you into a set point range, it's not that it's not often something that happens immediately. It's interesting. There's different time periods for when when people are below their set point. Oftentimes, mechanisms are going to be pretty intense trying to get them to regain the weight. But when people are above their set point, it's a very slow, controlled process that your body goes through to get you to gradually regain the weight. And that might explain why some people, it takes a couple of years after their last diet when they lost all that weight before they've regained it. You know, that your body is subtly changing all of these mechanisms. Like maybe it's slowing down your metabolism just a little bit. So not enough for it to really be noticeable th to you throughout the day, but enough that it adds up over time so that you've regained the weight over the course of a couple of years or so. Yes, that was definitely my experience. I, well, in my experience, as soon as I gave myself permission to eat whatever I wanted when I wanted, I definitely had a period of eating everything that I previously restricted, but that only lasted a couple of weeks until I was like, wow, that doesn't make me feel too good. And then slowly over time gaining weight and then slowly kind of balancing out. So I, I can definitely attest to that. Now, previously you were talking about control and 
um, what happens when we don't allow our body to maintain the set point weight? Like is like that control that we're constantly going through, what happens if we continue down that path? Yeah. Okay, well, let's look at it first from the perspective of as you're losing the weight, when you're going on a diet and you've you've dropped below your set point weight. Generally, what's going to happen is the first thing is your body's going to try to get you to eat more. So it's going to bump up your appetite. So it gets you to think about food all the time. There are so many different things that go on in your body to try to get you to eat like changes in your brain so that you're thinking about food. You get changes in the taste buds in your tongue so that a wider range of foods are appealing to you. So, you know, that's why foods that you never would have considered before are suddenly just calling out to you because your body is so desperate that it's, you know, making those vending machines talk to you. Whereas before you might not have noticed them. So that kind of desperation that people feel where they want to eat everything in sight and they're thinking about food all the time is part of that response to being below your set point. Now, here's another really interesting thing, though, is that some people can have tremendous willpower on diets. And I know that I was one of those really good dieters that I would get all those signals where I'd be thinking about food all the time and I'd really want to eat. And there were definitely times that I was still able to stick with my diet because I, I just so desperately wanted to be thin. But here's the next step that happens. When your body sees that turning up your appetite isn't resulting in you getting more calories and it really wants to help you regain the weight, your body actually can turn down your appetite again because it figures, well, there's wasted energy in turning up their appetite if they're not going to respond to it and I just need to get more calories on them. So your body might actually turn down your appetite and some people sometimes hit that point where it feels like a diet is easier after a while. But that's when the next step that comes in that's really quite difficult and that's that your body then will just slow down how much it uses energy so that you're now conserving energy. So you might feel draggy during the day, like you just don't have as much get up and go to do things and you're tired all the time. And now, even though you're eating less, your body is spending less energy and it may be that you are actually gaining weight from being on that diet. So that's interesting. In the beginning part, eating less calories actually helps you to lose weight. But over time, eating less calories could result in weight gain because your body just slows down how much energy it spends. So it doesn't matter whether you go off your diet or you stay on your diet. Your body's pretty good at getting you to regain the weight. Are there certain foods that increase satiety more than others? And like a lot of people listening right now are fairly quote unquote whole food eaters. You know, like we try to take care of our bodies and we're eating food that makes us feel good. But are there certain foods that increase hunger more than others or decrease hunger and, and give you more of a true sense of your hunger? For example, like for me, that's fat. I eat a lot of fat. And when I don't eat a lot of fat, I'm always hungry and it's like a fake hunger. In your experience, do you see that some people resonate better with different types of foods than others? I think that we give way too much power to the types of foods 
that people can stay within a healthy set point range, a range of different eating styles. And what you eat tends to not matter as much as people give it, like it doesn't have this, the same kind of power that people like to believe. And I think too that those, while feeling full at a particular time is like a helpful signal that we have to remember that it's not one meal that your body cares about. It cares about the whole big picture over time. Mm-hmm. And so if you're doing a lot to feel full, like let, like for example, you could drink a, a, a lot of liquids and drink, eat a lot of soup. And sure, that is going to contribute to a feeling of fullness that might stop you from eating at that particular time. But your body's just if it doesn't get the calories it needs, it's just gonna kind of push you to eating more at your next meal. So I don't think all of those little tricks to try to get you to feel more full at an individual meal really have any kind of a long-term effect on helping you to maintain a, a lower weight. What do you propose instead? So instead of looking at you know, what you're eating in one meal, how? How should one or should one even look at what they're eating? Or should they just go from day to day, eating what they want, not caring? Where, where's the line between all of that? I think that there's a, like, eating to feel good is a good strategy, right? Mm-hmm. And let's say that you ate nothing but candy. You would probably find that you're constipated all the time because your body's not getting the fiber that it needs, So you are getting a signal that that's not doing a good job of taking care of your body. And in general, people will find that the more fiber they get in the body, the more it contributes to like more comfortable bowel movements, more consistent energy throughout the day, and just, you know, a better feeling. So rather than telling people eat high fiber foods because it's good for you, I'd rather people come to an experience of, you know, when I eat these kinds of foods, I feel better in my body and figuring out what those foods are for them. And that will naturally bring people to eating more things like vegetables because they're high in fiber, which is very different from eating vegetables because they're a good food for you. Yeah, I know as somebody who had orthorexia as well, I had a lot of stress about when to eat, how to eat, where to eat it. And I would force myself to eat even though I wasn't hungry because it was time for dinner. And oh my gosh, I haven't eaten enough vegetables. And there was so much stress around that. As opposed to now, it's just like, oh, I feel like vegetables. I'm going to have them or I don't. And and so it's a lot less restricted and restrained. Yeah. So I can. And you'll, right. And you'll find that on those times that you go without vegetables, like that happens to me when I'm traveling. And Mm -hmm. so I'm eating out all the time. And, you know, it's, it's very different from what I normally eat at home. And I often find that I get constipated when I travel because I don't have as much fiber. You know, that's not, that's not as usual in restaurant meals as it is in the kinds of stuff that I cook for myself. Mm-hmm. So I don't feel good in my body when I'm not eating vegetables, right? I get all of those signals. So again, I think that it's much more valuable for people to learn about their bodies and how to read their bodies rather than to eat these foods because they know they're supposed to be healthy. 
because once you get a lived sense that this helps you to feel better, then you want to eat those foods. You're more drawn to them, which is, again, very different from eating your vegetables because you're supposed to. You have to, yeah. And so lightly, we talked a little bit about health and weight. What do you say about health and weight and how they are combined. I know we chatted a little bit about set point weight, but is there anything else you want to add to women listening that are like, but it can't be healthy. My doctor's saying that these extra 20 pounds are unhealthy and I would be better if it, if I lost it. Right. Well, first off, recognize that doctors aren't trained in obesity. And when they are trained, they're given a lot of misinformation in conventional education today. Doctors are also, many of them are not trained in nutrition. And according to like all of the federal expectations of a medical education, there's I think only about 20 hours of nutrition education that's required, which is not a whole lot. And that nutrition education could be about the biomechanical, or I'm sorry, the biochemical pathways and not really have anything to do with what's actually in food or very little to do. So doctors are not the places that we should be going for any kind of information about nutrition and weight. Now, of course, some individual doctors have chosen, have studied this and may be well-educated, but it's not something that is appropriately built into their education. So it's, it's sad that they're the ones that are giving advice around this. And what we certainly know is that the advice that they're told to give around weight doesn't measure up to what we know from the best science. So you consider something like the body mass index, which is doctors turn to and are told to use as a health indicator. Well, the body mass index was basically something that was written by the pharmaceutical industry. There's that whole expose appears in my first book, Health at Every Size. And when the U.S. government adopted it, it wasn't because they did an analysis of health and decided that, you know, these categories really will help people to stay in good health. In fact, you're not going to find any peer-reviewed health data that backs up their decision. Instead, you know, you trace back how they decided to set the guidelines where they did, and you can find that it was a privately funded organization that was in large part funded by pharmaceutical companies that had weight loss drugs out in the market that helped to define the BMI standards that we use today. And when doctors use BMI as a health indicator, they'll end up misdiagnosing people over half of the time. So it's time for us to throw out all those notions of body mass index. And if your doctor is using them, it's a sure signal that they're not staying up on state-of-the-art medicine, that they're just buying into these old belief systems. And, you know, I can understand why they would. I mean, that's what their profession still pushes, but their profession hasn't isn't really relying on science to come up with it. It's more just about prejudice and manipulation. So I think if your doctor tells you to lose weight for health reasons, it's time to fire your doctor and find somebody who's actually studied these issues from a scientific perspective. 
Brilliant advice. Totally. I would agree with you. And that's really what you have to do. I mean, in my case, I feel so much better than I would 10, 20 pounds lighter. I'm not going back there. <laughs> I yeah. don't want to do that. You can. I'm good. So yeah. So if you want to find out about someone, if, if you want to support someone in good health, what you can do is you can support people in good health behaviors as a, and you know, weight is not a behavior. Weight is just a physical characteristic. And so, you know, again, we can always support people in being regularly active, developing their social network, taking downtime and eating well. And all of those things are going to be good indicator of the things that they can do to help themselves. And I would also like to suggest one other really big thing that people can do to help themselves, and that's to learn how to manage stigma, you know, that it's not easy being in a larger body in this culture that there's so many like socially we're just not kind to larger people and there there's so much misinformation about weight but the answer is not for individuals to lose weight and try to fit in the answer is to change the culture to recognize that size diversity is a sign of health and, you know, that we just need to honor people in all of the different varieties that their bodies have and support them in living well. And for the heavier people, part of that trip is going to be to manage the stigma of living in a world that is not very fair. You know, it's very in some ways, it's similar to dealing with the fact that racism exists. You don't tell a person of color to ble bleach their skin, although if they had lighter skin, they'd probably get treated better in the world. Instead, you know, you help them to see that there's something wrong with racism, right? That they're okay. And to help them to manage their ability to live in a world that is so messed up around racism. The podcast is sponsored by Paleo Valley 100% grass-fed beef sticks, my new favorite gut-friendly clean protein snack. There are tons of new snack options on the market today, but nothing quite like Paleo Valley's grass-fed beef sticks. They are made from 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef, which is really rare contains all organic spices, are all free of dyes, and are also carb-free, GMO-free, gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, and contain zero grams of sugar. But the big reason these beef sticks make me do the happy dance is that they're fermented. Yes, just like fermented vegetables. As a result, each beef stick contains 1 billion naturally occurring gut healing probiotics. They're super convenient, delicious, and great for your gut, so don't miss out. Exclusive to our listeners, Paleo Valley is providing 20% off all orders for a very limited time. You'll also be given first dibs on their brand new, insanely delicious garlic summer sausage and summer sausage flavors just like healthy mini hickory smoked sausages. Get your fermented 100% grass-fed beef sticks for 20% off by going to paleovalley.com forward slash keto. Load up your cart and the discount will be automatically applied. Again, that's paleovalley.com forward slash keto. Yeah, and, and body shaming is like the a very accepted way <laughs> of segregating an entire community of people 
and it's completely socially accepted. Like it's okay. And that to me seems like a huge feat. And I, I love what you said about behavior versus, you know, versus how you look. And when I first heard of the health at every size movement, I was like, that's crazy. That doesn't even make any sense. But it wasn't until I read a book uh, from Jess Baker and she said, it's about behaviors, people. And, you know, a light bulb flipped off in my head of just, of course, it's about healthy behaviors. And that's something that you touch on so wonderfully in your books as well is, like you said, taking downtime, you know, meeting up with friends and doing things outside of hunkering down, working, eating at your desk and being frantic and never taking time for yourself. That can go a long way as opposed to just looking at the way or judging someone on their health based on the way that they look. Because I know when I was a lot smaller, my health was a hot mess. <laughs> and we had a couple of questions come in from individuals that had read your books or know of you or had questions about health at every size or, or the concepts that you share. A lot of the women asked, but like, how can I truly love every part of myself when there are parts that are really unattractive like the fat underneath my I guess like tricep fat they said like that was an example of just like how do I love that how do I how do I love every part of myself this is crazy well you know I'm not really a big advocate of think of saying that you have to love every part of yourself mm. more what I think is important is that we have to accept ourselves right this is the body that I live in and we can learn to appreciate that body but I think that that's very different from thinking that everybody's gonna look at themselves in the mirror naked and say wow you're gorgeous I think that you know, given this culture that we live in, that's that's a hard thing. And it's certainly not a step that you jump to instantly. So I would instead help people to understand the whole idea that, that first off, you could look at your body in a very different way. Like for example, instead of looking at your your arms and thinking they're too fat, you can say, I'm like, look at that amazing arm. It allows me to reach out and hug somebody. Isn't that phenomenal that I've got arms that allow me to do that in the world? And it's a very different way of looking at your body. You can learn to appreciate it for all the magnificence and functionality and stop getting so hung up in only viewing it in terms of physical looks. Right? And then the other thing to recognize is that whole idea of if you don't like the, the fat under your arms, that's because you've been taught not to like the fat under your arms. It's not like there's anything objective about what we define as beauty. And in fact, if you go back historically and if you go to museums from most periods of time previous to the last couple hundred years, it was larger bodies that had a lot of fat hanging off of them that were seen as gorgeous and that thin bodies were looked at as sickly. So what we see is what we've been taught to see, and we don't have to accept all of those messages. And you know, and I think another point to be made is to just increase and to keep working too with that idea of acceptance that we don't have to love every part of ourselves, but we can still accept that this is who we are and live in that body. And how do we go against those messages? Like, 
For example, when I'm at home and I'm surrounded by all the things that make me accept myself and love a lot, a lot of things that I do and feeling appreciative. But when I go out into the world <laughs> and I'm hit with all this stuff everywhere, like how does one overcome that? Like how do they build up support so that they don't get into old behaviors? Well, it's, it's a great question because there's so many ways in which the world sends back messages that who we are is inadequate. And, you know, so we have to learn how to be critical consumers of media and, you know, recognize that someone else's, we don't have to share somebody else's vision. And, you know, and that's like I talked before about how we all have to develop our skills to be able to better manage stigma, you know, and the fact that the world doesn't treat us well. And I think, too, that that women need to bond together and recognize that there's something that many women share within that body hatred. And it's about sexism Mm -hmm. and that we need to kind of reclaim our collective power to define what's attractive and to not accept those messages that are out there. But every time we feel bad, it's because we've accepted a cultural idea. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. It was great chatting with you, Leanne. Totally. And the show notes for today's episode can be found at healthfulpursuit.com forward slash podcast forward slash E14. And thanks again for being on the show. All right. Take care. And that does it for another episode of the Keto Diet Podcast. Thanks for listening in. You can follow me on Instagram by searching Healthful Pursuit, where you'll find daily keto eats and other fun things. And check out all of my keto supportive programs, bundles, guides, and other cool things over at healthfulpursuit.com forward slash shop. And I'll see you next Sunday. Bye.